Good morning, City Light. How are you guys? That's pretty good. How are you guys? We'll go one more time. Yay, I like to hear that. My name is Doug, one of the pastors for our church. Um, I want you to imagine something with me this morning, okay? Just pretend for a little bit with me, if you will. Imagine that later this week, you're getting some time alone with God. You're reading your Bible, and you're praying. And then right in the middle of that, you start having these... um, like mental images come to your head, come to your mind, right? And you very clearly, very vividly, you're seeing different pictures. There's a picture of a man in a business suit, a soccer mom unloading the kids from the minivan, a Bible opened up, and there's also pictures of some tattoos and some gang signs and three 9mm pistols. And all these images are colliding together in this one mental vision. And you hear the phrase, this is your destiny. And you react and you're like, I don't know what that is, but I'm pretty sure it's not God. I mean, that is certainly not my destiny. At least, like, not the guns part. Maybe the soccer mom part or the soccer dad part. But, like, guns, um, tattoos, gang signs, minivans, business suit company, like, Those just don't belong together. They don't go together. Okay, this is not God. You're kind of confused, working this over in your head. What is going on here? And while you're doing that, someone knocks on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And so you go to your window and you look out, and you see there's a black Escalade with dark-tinted windows. And there's three guys outside, and on their forearms, they have the same tattoos that you just saw in your, like, mental images. Okay? And they're packing heat. Okay, they got three nine millimeter pistols. And so you're like, okay, you go and you kind of fearfully, timidly open the door. And they say to you, ma'am or sir, hey, um, our guy back in Ferguson just sent us here to you. He would like for you to come meet with them there in Ferguson. And you're like, Ferguson, you, you, and they're like, yes, you know, Ferguson in Missouri, outside St. Louis. You've heard about it in the news. He sent us to come get you. Will you come meet with him or not? And you're like, uh, you look at their tattoos, and you look at their guns, and then you look in your driveway at your minivan. What do you do? What do you do in that moment? I mean, there's a lot at play here, right? You were praying and you had this kind of like vision of sorts and now it's kind of corresponding to that. But like you're a really nice person whose version of being crazy is watching Jimmy Fallon too late into the evening, right? And you're like, I don't see how these things can come together. I mean, this is not God, right? God would never call me to something like this. God would never ask me to do something like this. What would you do? Some of you are like, man, I'd go get my 9mm and roll on up on the dude. That's not what I would do, okay? What I would do is I'd say, hey guys, I'm so sorry. I've got a wife and four kids and a dog. I just can't get away right now. But I'm on staff at a church here in town. It's a really great church. I think you guys would love it. It's called City Light Church. You should come. And then I would close the door, turn around, and call our security team to give them a heads up, right? That's what I would do. So the story sounds a little far-fetched, 
Maybe a little bit impossible. That would never happen to you, right? Why would God ask you to go visit some guy in Ferguson? Why would he show you these images of a business suit and a minivan and tattoos and gang signs and say that's your destiny? I mean, God would never call someone to do something like that. Have you ever thought about God like that, right? Of of course God's going to tell you you should go to church, Of course God's going to tell you you should be nice to your parents or, you know, give some money to a local nonprofit or obey the law. But what if God surprised you? What if God even shocked you? I ask you that question because that's exactly what God does in our story this morning in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and God shocks, God surprises his boy Peter in Acts chapter 10. Peter was the cleaned up, business suit wearing, might as well have been a soccer dad with a minivan, Jewish church staff member, and then God surprised him. God shocked him. So look at the story, Acts chapter 10, we're just going to start in verses 1 and 2. It starts with this, at Caesarea, there's a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, pause right there. Anybody who was Jewish, who would have been reading this, would have immediately said, oh, that's a bad dude from a bad town. Caesarea was predominantly um, Gentile, and we know this was a Gentile army leader. So all the Jewish readers are going, bad dude, bad town. Go on to verse 2. Verse 2 continues, though, and it says, Cornelius was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. So he is a Gentile, but he was nice to the Jewish people. So it might help just to do some quick Bible trivia here, okay? In the Bible, by and large, there are two two groups of people. This is super generic, but it'll help. Two groups of people. There's Jewish and then non-Jewish. All other races are just the non-Jewish. There's Jewish and what they call Gentile. And so the Jewish people, they kept reminding themselves that they were God's special people. They were the recipient of God's promises and God's blessings. That was the Jewish people, but not those Gentiles. Those Gentiles were dirty, they were disgusting, they were despicable. Those Gentiles didn't know God's laws. Those Gentiles didn't wash their hands enough, they didn't wear the right fabric. Those Gentiles were the ones who oppressed them and enslaved them. Those Gentiles, just like Cornelius. And so the Jewish people, they would let Cornelius learn their laws They would let Cornelius pray right about the same time that they prayed, but they would never welcome him. They would never, he wasn't acceptable to them. He couldn't come close. It was unthinkable at the time. That is the racial tension that fills the air. That's the racial tension at play just in the first two verses. Keep going with the story. In verses 3 through 8, it tells us about a vision that Cornelius, this Gentile, a vision that he had where God acknowledges him and his prayers and then tells him to send for Peter. So we have a Gentile, dirty, disgusting, despicable Gentile, sending for one of the most famous Jewish men alive, Peter. Then look at verse 9. Acts 10 verse 9 says, The next day... 
as they, these are the guys that Cornelius sent, the guys in the black Escalade, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So just pause right there. I don't want us to miss this. Peter has seen miracles in the last few chapters. He has seen the church grow and multiply. Acts chapter 9, right before the story, tells us that Peter just healed another lame man, and Peter raised a lady from the dead. So, I mean, Peter is just, he's on a roll. Peter is successful right now. But even in the midst of the success, what do we find Peter doing? He's praying. He's not on cruise control. He's not just out looking for more fame or more praise. He's not just sitting back and letting it come to him. Instead, he's getting time alone with God to pray. He's praying, and as he prays, God also shows him a vision, like he gave Cornelius a vision, now he's giving Peter a vision too. In Peter's vision, a white sheet comes down, and this white sheet is full of clean and unclean animals. So in the Old Testament, in the law, God would kind of delineate. These are clean animals, you can eat them. These are unclean animals, don't eat them. So in Peter's vision, this white sheet comes down, you got clean and unclean, and then God tells Peter, the Jewish guy, go kill them all and eat them. Okay, this is every hunter's dream dream, all right? Go kill them all and eat them. And Peter's like, verse 14, he says, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. It's like our imaginary story at the beginning, right? A soccer mom, a minivan, tattoos, gang signs. Those don't go together. You can't have the two of those together. That's what Peter is saying to God. He's going, I've never eaten anything unclean. By no means, Lord. Now, when Jesus tells you to do something, my humble suggestion is you don't tell him no. Okay, it's like Peter's going, Lord, no. It's kind of a contradiction in the phrase, but Peter's wrestle was real here. He was really wrestling with this because Peter was thoroughly Jewish. He had read all of those laws from the Old Testament. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Don't wear that kind of fabric. Don't walk this many steps on that particular day. Peter was as Jewish as Jewish could be, and so he knew don't eat uh, unclean animals, and now it sure seems like, at least, God is telling him, eat unclean animals. And so Peter's just going, what's happening? By no means, Lord. So God does the same thing, and he says the same thing to Peter two more times, right? Three times to try to get it through his thick skull. Then look at verse 17, Acts 10, verse 17. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, skip down a little bit, the men who were sent by Cornelius stood at the gate. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter's perplexed. Cornelius' crew shows up. The Spirit says, hey, go meet them and then go with them. And Peter does it. So what we have here is one of the most famous Jewish men alive going to a Gentile city, hanging out with a Gentile family, and preaching the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, to a bunch of Gentiles. I mean, really, worlds are colliding. Racial tension would have filled the air on that journey and in that house. And it's kind of funny. 
when Peter gets to Cornelius, he asks Cornelius, he's like, um, do you know what I'm supposed to be doing here? Like, why did you sin for me? Peter's literally just taking this step-by-step with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know what's coming next. He's not for sure what to do. He's just trying to track with the Spirit. So now he's the guy in a business suit hanging out in the hood of Ferguson with a former gang leader. And he's like, uh, do you know what I should do? And Cornelius thankfully goes, you're supposed to preach to us. Oh, brilliant. Great idea. And so Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus to these Gentiles. And then God sends the final shock, the biggest shock. Look at verse 44, Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still saying these things, while he was still preaching the gospel of Jesus clearly, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit, God himself, fell on all who heard the word. Now, this is going too far. God falling on these dirty, disgusting, despicable Gentiles was utterly astounding to Peter and the Jewish church at that time. You see, the gospel had spread geographically, but it had not spread racially. The gospel had gone to all different kinds of cities and places, but it had only gone to Jewish people in those cities and places. Of course, the Jewish people weren't telling the um, Gentiles because they were dirty. They were disgusting. But now Peter, the most famous Jewish man of his day, is preaching to a Jewish family and a bunch of Jewish people about Jesus. And not, it's not just crazy enough that he's doing that, but then God is okay with it. And God's not just okay with it. God actually is so pleased, so excited that he falls on them through his Holy Spirit. God drops on them just like he did way back in Acts 2 with all the Jewish people. So these Gentiles are getting all of God, getting just as much of God as all the Jewish people were. It was shocking to them, okay? It was crazy. It was totally unexpected. And so Peter's like, uh, what are we doing? He's like, well, the Spirit fell. Let's get them baptized. Bam, they get baptized. Then the church back in Jerusalem's like, oh, no, uh-uh, this is not good. Peter here is hanging out with Gentiles, preaching to Gentiles. And Peter's like, here's the story. And they go, oh, okay, God's doing it. This is the Holy Spirit thing. Let's keep this going, okay? Both really good responses. Okay, now, that's the story. I just told you the story of Acts chapter 10. My question for us, right, we're in Omaha, Nebraska, City Light Church, 2015. What does that mean for us? What do we take away from this story? I'm sure 2,000 years ago it meant a lot to people, but I don't know if you're like me. I'm kind of going, what in the world does this mean for me? Let me give you two points of application from this story. So this is where your notes start. Point of application number one. With God, expect the unexpected. With God, you've got to always expect the unexpected. Peter's life was full of the unexpected ever since he met Jesus. Peter was just a boring fisherman, and then Jesus called him to be a fisher of men. And then Jesus called him the rock, the foundation of my church, and Jesus called him the devil. Both of those were unexpected. Peter denied Jesus three times, and then Jesus unexpectedly reclaimed Peter three times. Peter had seen the Holy Spirit fall in Acts chapter 2, the tongues of fire. He had preached to thousands and seen them get saved. He had seen the lame man walking, and then another lame man walking, and then the lady rising from the dead. Peter's life was full of the unexpected, but now God is going, I'm not done. 
There's more unexpected to come. I am not finished. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter's world went from little Jewish gospel explosion to big, worldwide, all races gospel explosion. It was unexpected. So let me ask you, do you expect the unexpected from God? Is that what you expect from him? How about you? And if you will, let me just humbly kind of slide in here and, and give a request to those who are in the older generation. You're in the generation ahead, ahead of me. You're in your 50s or your 60s, maybe your 70s or your 80s. And if you're in your 90s, we're so glad you're here. Okay, so I did not mean that negative at all. Oh my gosh, give us as much wisdom as we can get, right? Your kids are raised and gone. You got a little more time. You got a little more money. You got a little more wisdom and a little less energy. Can I just ask you, if you're in that age range, if you're in those generations, what is God calling you to now? In this season, this season of your life, what is God calling you to now? Recently, I was talking with a missionary partner of ours named Bill Pearson. And Bill had had a really successful life here in Omaha. Financial success, family success, leadership success. And then one day, as he was driving and praying, God said to Bill, go with your wife to the mission field. And Bill just started laughing. He's like, by no means, Lord. Like, I'm older, and I have a little more money to finance that, but, like, I don't have nearly the energy. I'm, he wasn't on church staff. I'm not the church leader guy. And God's saying, go to the mission field with your wife. He's going, by no means. Bill Pearson had an Acts 10, by no means moment with God. Guess where, where he is this morning, right now. Guess where he is. Bill and his wife, Peggy, are planting their fourth church in the Dominican Republic. Guess how old he is. 75 years old. 75. And he's planting his fourth church in the Dominican Republic. Oh, older generation, will you join with me and the rest of us young, naive kids in expecting the unexpected from God? What might God do with you in your later years, in your wiser years? He might call you to the mission field. He might call you to start a new city group or mentor a young, engaged couple or go talk with a former gang leader in Ferguson. Who knows? All I'm asking, just like a son might to his parents, is please don't coast. We are so thrilled you're here. So thrilled. We need your wisdom and your stability. Please don't coast. Don't just spectate. Would you join us in expecting the unexpected from God? In church, literally, all of us, think about this. What might this mean for City Light Church? Oh, man, God has done so much in our midst already, right? But what if the Benson Church Plant, who's having their very first meeting this morning, what if the Benson Church Plant isn't the finish line? 
What if it's just number one among 20 or 30 churches to be planted in our region? What if 175 people saved and baptized in the last couple years is just a small beginning? Might there be thousands more who turn to Christ, get baptized, and get discipled, right? What if 27 city groups is an awesome start, but Jesus wants 150 city groups throughout our city and our region? What if we can keep expecting the unexpected from God? And if you're sitting there going, oh boy, by no means Lord, then join the team. Join the team. Peter and the leaders of our church, we know what it's like for God to say something or call us into something that seems so far-fetched that we try to correct him, right? We try to correct God just like Peter. But what happens every time is just like Peter, our by no means Lord gets turned into whatever you say, God. May it be for you and me and for our church. May our by no means Lord get turned into whatever you say, God. Point number one, what does Acts 10 mean to us? With God, always expect the unexpected. Number two, let's keep going. And I want to drill in a little bit here. I want to take that point number one and really laser beam in on a particular issue. Number two, pursue racial diversity in Jesus' church. Pursue racial diversity in Jesus' church. Now, I'm not trying to be political. I just want to teach the Bible, and in particular, Acts chapter 10, okay? So step into this with me. Earlier I said that in the Bible, by and large, very generically, there's two kinds of people, Jewish and non-Jewish, Jewish and Gentile. And it is obvious, super duper obvious, that God chose the Jewish people so that he can carry out his plans through them. God chose his team. It's really obvious he picked his team. But what happened is that these Jewish people, hardened by years of suffering and oppression, with little stretches of wealth and riches mixed in there, the Jewish people got really proud of their chosen people's status. God had told them that I choose you because you are the weakest and the smallest, and they got to thinking we're the best and the brightest. God, or they were a stiff-necked, rebellious people, but they got to looking on the outside, the exterior, and they were saying, hey, we're cleaned up more, we're polished up more than these dirty Gentiles. That's what was happening in this time. That racial bias, that racial prejudice, that is the culture that Peter lived in. It was the air that he breathed. But here's the deal. Peter had read his Bible He had read all those parts about God using the Jewish people as a light to all nations. He had read about God's huge heart to bless all nations, all races, all peoples through the Jewish people. I mean, Peter was standing there when Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. It was plain as day, very obvious in the Bible that Peter read, in the Jesus that Peter followed. But the culture around him was so soaked in racism that God had to give him a startling vision to pierce through Peter's racism. And what I've discovered with every day, every month, every year that I get a little bit older is that I too live in a culture that is soaked in racism. I do, which means most likely you do too. But I can't blame the culture, can I? 
It's, it's my heart. It's my problem. It's my sin. I've just been so unaware of my racial bias for so long. And you might be like me. No, no, I'm not racist. I don't have a racial bias. But then God kept bringing these questions to me, questions that would haunt me, questions that would expose me, questions like this. How many of your friends are of a different race? How much quality time did you spend with someone of a different race this last month? When someone of a different race shows up to your city group or sits next to you on Sunday morning, what's your natural response? What level of intention have you put in to understanding the racial issues of our day and then speaking up for those whose voice doesn't get heard? Yeah, it was questions like that that left me exposed. I am so nice, but I keep such a far distance. Church, Doug, we have to take this seriously. We can't just say, oh, the Civil War was 150 years ago. The Civil Rights Movement was 40 or 50 years ago. If Ferguson and Baltimore can just get their act together, and, 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 if we go that direction, it will ruin us. It will wreck us, and it will wreck our city. We can't go there. We, too, are soaked in a culture of racism, and we need God to pierce through and wake us up. And God did it for Peter. And so what I want to do is get super practical. There's three things that happened to Peter. These are three things you can go do this week. You can get started on. So it's not just a pep rally, racial diversity, hip, hip, hooray. But you got something practical to do. Three things that happened to Peter. Number one, Peter got God's perspective. Peter got God's perspective. Look at the end of Acts 10, 28. Peter says, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Acts 10, verse 34, Peter says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. So Peter knew what his culture said about race. Peter knew what good Jewish boys were supposed to do with people of different races. But it wasn't until God pierced through that Peter got God's point of view. And once Peter got God's point of view, everything else changed in his life. Like number two, Peter gets God's perspective. Number two, Peter humbled himself relationally. Peter humbled himself relationally. So when Peter shows up to Cornelius' house, it's kind of this funny moment in the story. When Peter shows up to Cornelius' house, Cornelius bows down and starts worshiping him, Peter. And so that would be like a dream come true to most Jewish people. Finally, this dirty, filthy Gentile is realizing that I am holier than him. But Peter would have none of it. Instead, Acts 10, verse 26. Look at this, church. Put your eyes on this in your Bible, because this is our verse. If we're going to have more and developed racial diversity and harmony and intimacy among races, this is our verse. Peter says, stand up. Stand up. Come to the equal footing with me. Stand up. I, too, am a man. I am not holier than you. I am not higher than you. I am not more honorable than you. I am a human just like 
you. Peter gave just as much dignity to this Gentile as he did to himself. Peter ascribed just as much worth and value to Cornelius as he did to himself. Stand up. I too, I'm just a human. No holier, no higher, no more honorable than you. So Peter gets God's perspective. Number two, Peter humbled himself relationally. And number three, Peter publicly confessed his sin. Peter publicly confesses sin. Look at verse 28, the beginning of it. Peter just says to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So Peter just puts it out there. Everyone in the culture knew about it, and Peter's not going to deny it. He just admitted that he was part of a group of racially prideful, racially biased people. He walked into a room full of a previously hated race, and he said, I was wrong. God just showed me. Peter publicly confessed his sin. So let me just step into this real fast. Can I just say um, to anyone who is of a different race than me, okay? Can I say to you, um, first, I'm sorry. I, Doug Stevens, I have neglected you. I have ignored you. I could have pursued friendship with you, but I chose the path of ease, and I didn't. The way I have treated you and the way I have not treated you is wrong. It's wrong. May God pierce through my racial bias. And let me go one step further. As as a member, a leader in Jesus' church, can I say this to anyone who is of a different race than me? Can I just tell you, the church, both historically right up until today, we have got it dead wrong in this area. We have messed up over and over and over again. We have neglected you. We have ignored you. We have not empowered you for service and leadership. We have mistreated you. We have even enslaved you. And then gone and used the Bible as some sort of justification for it? That is evil, sinful, wrong. And can I just say, as best as I can, I know I'm just one guy, but as best as I can, I'm sorry. And I think with integrity I can say, God's doing something in our church, and I think he's on the move in this area, and all I'm asking is, I want it to keep going. I want it to keep growing. I want racial diversity. And not just racial diversity, racial harmony, racial intimacy, deeply loving, connecting with people of different races. And so I'm sorry, friends, I'm sorry. Church, City Light, hear this. Racial diversity matters. It matters to God. It matters to God Almighty. Can I tell you that if God had even just a little bone of racial prejudice in his body, even an ounce of racial favoritism in his body, then you would have never known Jesus Christ. Church, we are those dirty, despicable, disgusting Gentiles. Probably 99% of us in this room are Cornelius. 
And if God wouldn't have taken big, bold steps to overcome racial boundaries, language boundaries, ethnic boundaries, custom boundaries, then all of us Gentile folks would still be right on our way to hell without any hope or knowledge of Jesus Christ. Racial diversity matters, and you better thank God that he likes racial diversity. It matters to God Almighty. So much that he's willing to shake up our stereotypes. He's willing to blow up our boundaries and root out our religion so that all nations, all races, all tribes, and all tongues might bow down and worship Jesus Christ alone. The racial divide that Peter crossed in Acts 10 pales in comparison to the divine divide that God had to cross. This divine divide that separated us from God. We were unholy, unclean, unrighteous, but God, he sent his son, not just an apostle, not just a church leader, not just Peter. God sent his one and only son to shake up the stereotype, to blow up our boundary, to root out our religion. Jesus left the comforts of Wyoming CA soccer and minivans and new Father's Day ties, and he moved into our neighborhood, lived with our problems, our pain, and our violence, yet he remained sinless, died among us, and rose for us. That is the gospel. God crossed way more than just a racial divide, and he didn't do that just for people like me. He did it for people like me, but not only for people like me. Revelation 7 verse 9, it says that people from every tongue, every race, every tribe, at the end, all those people, all those different kinds of people are going to be bowing down, giving honor, praise, and glory to Jesus Christ. That means that there's something so intrinsically incredible, something so astoundingly breathtaking, something so marvelously beautiful about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that he attracts all different kinds of people. He attracts people like me, the nerds who love to read. And he attracts African Americans and Latinos and the rich and the poor. And he attracts Muslims who have dreams of him in their sleep. And Jesus attracts tribal villages and urban towers and backwoods hillbillies and yuppie hipsters and the young and the old, the kids and the grandparents, the clean and the unclean, the common and the uncommon, the Gentile and the Jewish. Jesus attracts, he wins, he awakens, and he satisfies all different kinds of people. That's how glorious Jesus Christ is to win them all. So, yes, you matter, you. But so does the person next to you. So does the person in your city group, in your neighborhood, who looks really different from you. That is the story of Acts chapter 10. With God, you've got to always expect the unexpected, especially when it comes to pursuing racial diversity in his church. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Father, your word is clear, not just in Acts 10, but throughout, it's clear. Racial diversity, harmony, and intimacy matters to you. You care about this. And as crazy as it sounds for people of different races and cultures and backgrounds coming together in something that is actually harmonious, something that is actually intimate and unified for you, we know that you paid a great price for it. 
It's not just an idea to you. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, and he spilled his blood. Ephesians chapter 2 says it is the blood of Christ that brings us near to one another. Different races, different cultures coming near, close, intimate to one another. And so, Father in heaven, we just want to say to you, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the blood that he spilled. Thank you for the price that he paid. May we not take advantage of it and just use it only on people who look like us. Instead, may, may we cherish you, Jesus, your sacrifice on the cross. Cherish your blood in such a way that we want to see it spread and bring others near. That we get your perspective, that we humble ourselves, and that we're honest about our past sin. Church, we're going to take communion together now. And what an incredible symbol of unity and union. At the end of the day, people of all different races and cultures, we only come to one table. And there's only one king, one Lord, one Savior that we worship, Jesus. And so you're going to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, and remember that we all unite in Jesus Christ. We remember his body. We remember his blood. Father, would you do a supernatural, miraculous work among us? We need your help. Would you take this from idea to even more reality, more experience, and more expression here in City Light Church and then throughout our city and region. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.